Dennis Borson of Borson Farms was planning to become one of the largest operators in Michigan. What might the farms mounting legal problems mean for farmers and the industry alike? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN progressive farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. For many months now, Borson Farms has been at the center of a federal investigation led by the IRS. This comes after a number of lawsuits were filed against the farm in recent years, primarily attempting to force Borson Farms to pay money owed to companies, both local and national, that had provided products and services used to operate the farm's 83,000 cropland acres. One creditor obtained a $15 million judgment against the farm, but this proved to be just the tip of the iceberg, as other creditors have come forward claiming hundreds of millions in outstanding debt. Today, DTN staff reporter Todd Neely brings us up to date on the Borson Farm story. He provides some insight into reactions he's hearing on the ground and outlines what might come next in the investigation. We'll dig into the facts of the case, who's been impacted, and what this means for both those directly involved and the farm sector more generally, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN staff reporter Todd Neely has been following the Borson Farm story closely for more than a year. Todd, I wonder if you could start by giving us some background. This is a story that seems like it's coming to a head right now, but it's been a long time in the making. Give us kind of the background we need to understand what's happening at Borson Farms. Yeah, sir, it's a big deal. Just some history. Borson Farms came in at one point and bought ground from a farmer um, who had a lot of difficulties. And that that farmer's name was Michael Stamp. Michael Stamp is now serving, I believe, an eight-year sentence in federal prison on a number of charges related to what he did when he owned much of the ground that the Borson Farms has operated for about six, seven years. Where we are on it now, Dennis Borson, who's been the current operator, I think at one point he had at least 100,000 acres that he was operating. This dates back quite a few years. In 2017, CHS had informed Dennis Borson that he, he owed CHS, I believe, $145 million. And they had basically given him an open line of credit for a number of years. And so Dennis Borson had operated with CHS. They they provided a lot of financing for him. And at some point, he couldn't pay that back. And so he was sued by CHS. And a number of things have happened over the past five years or so. Dennis Borson faces a lot of debt. 
he, he his farm was raided last year by the IRS. And we know that there's an ongoing investigation involving the IRS and possibly other federal agencies as it relates to Borson Farms. And here we are in 2022, and we're told the federal investigators are running up against what is the statute of limitations on some of these things that they're pursuing with Borson Farms. And so actual federal charges may be coming at some point yet this year. Here we are in June of 2022. And so I think we're probably going to see within the next few months, uh, the next several months, we're going to know more in terms of what's ongoing in the federal investigation. But this has been a long time coming. A lot of businesses that have done business with Borson Farms have not been paid for what services they've rendered to him. That can be anywhere from providing seed and other farm input. There's a lot of different a lot of different companies that have sued Borson Farms. We had a farm implement provider in Utah, based in Utah, that provided center pivots and those sorts of things on a lease, and they sued him at one point. And it's really, it's really an ongoing situation that we continue to watch and we wait for the federal investigations to come to a head. But right now, as far as we know it, uh, Borson Farms is still attempting to farm in Western Michigan. I'm curious from your reporting and what you've learned, what's your impression of how this happened? Was there a bad year in the mix that just untilted a good business plan or what happened? Yeah, I can give you a little background on Borson Farms. One of the things that we've learned along the way is that the farm's owner operator, Dennis Borson, he had a goal all along to, to, uh, to farm 100,000 acres. And he got involved with CHS. CHS agreed to provide him quite a bit of financing, hundreds of millions of dollars in financing. And there are a number of things that have gone on over the years. A lot of it has a, a lot of detail to it. I would say in general that Borson Farms, it's had a lot of people that's propped up the operation, so to speak, in some ways. Dennis Borson's had times where he's either needed equipment, farm inputs, whatever it takes to run a large operation. And in some sense, I think a lot of people that have worked with Borson Farms maybe saw this as a situation, it was something that might have been too big to fail, so to speak. But Dennis Borson and Borson Farms has done business with a lot of people in Michigan and other states. In fact, he's gone just about anywhere he can go to find financial assistance. He's a big enough operation that he saw he sees himself as having enough enough of a maybe a reputation that he could go outside the borders of Michigan and to seek help. So I think some of it has a lot to do with the fact that he got so big so fast. And I think where we're at now is the aftermath. I think as things go along in the next several months, we're going to obviously know a lot more of what took place. But it really is a it really is a central question to all of this. How did this happen? Why did this happen? And how could it maybe be avoided from happening again? What are the red flags that that came up along the way? And I think as we go forward, we're going to know more details on a lot of these, a lot of these questions. But certainly, Borson Farms was a very large operation at one point. From what we can tell, it's much, much smaller, and they're trying to survive here here in June of 2022. An operation at this scale, I can only imagine what kind of stir it's causing in its local, more a little bit more local community. I'm curious throughout your reporting as you've gotten in touch maybe with neighbor farmers, folks nearby, what are people saying? What are the reactions that you're hearing from folks on the ground? Sarah, there's been, as I said, Dennis Borson and Borson Farms has worked with a lot of people, a lot of local people, a lot of local businesses. We've heard stories, a few stories here and there about how he owes people millions of dollars. 
and how it's ruined their lives, the fact that he has not paid them back. We've talked to a, a couple people here and there, just trying to ferret things out and trying to figure out the extent of it. And I think that we're at a point where, like I said, we have to really watch and see how this federal investigation plays out. But I think generally speaking, people that have dealt with Borson Farms are highly frustrated. I think a lot of people are wondering why he's been allowed to go on as long as he has. I think that a lot of people put a lot of trust in Borson Farms, a member of the community that people know, and they're open their businesses and they open whatever resources they can provide to help him along the way. And I think a lot of people in that in, the, in those communities in Western Michigan feel pretty burned right about now. It's really a sad story. And I think we hope at some point as we begin to talk to, to more people about the experiences up there, that more people will open up and really, really give us their take. But from what we can tell at the moment, I think a lot of people are really frustrated. A lot of people have lost a lot of money and um, it just goes from there. We wait and see what the federal government, the federal agencies involved decide to do. I'm curious, you know, that that $145 million figure for CHS yeah. is truly just eye-popping and nuts. Yeah. I'm curious whether you've had a chance to talk to some of these, either either the big national, multinational companies that are directly involved with this or others as they are thinking about this kind of vendor-provided credit is, it feels like it's becoming more and more common. Does, you know, this kind of situation maybe cause some rethinking of how those systems work? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, Sarah. I think when you look at, when you look at Borson Farms and the arrangement they had with CHS, I think it was highly unique. And that's not to say that there aren't other large farms out there that have similar arrangements with some of these big input providers, financiers. I think there's a lot that happens. I think in general in ag, I think we're seeing clearly a lot of these companies have really have really taken the dollar sides of things very seriously. And so I think the due diligence that, that generally occurs in agriculture is at quite a high level. It's not to say that there aren't some bad actors from time to time, but I would say just in my general experiences with this story in particular, the arrangement that Borson Farms had with CHS was highly unusual and highly unique. In fact, it led to the retirement or the ouster of a CEO at CHS, people who came in behind the CEO and the leadership at CHS at the time really started looking at the books and were quite, we were told, quite surprised by what they saw, in particular with Borson Farms. And so it's, I think the situation raises a lot of red flags. And I would say in general that probably a lot of these big ag financiers probably don't go to this extent in giving that large of an open credit. You know, a 100,000 acre farm is substantial. And so I think that's probably for the future that the question there probably is, what are some of these ad companies saying about this kind of an arrangement and what are they doing, whether they would go on the record and talk about how they handle a large farmer. But I would suspect that the CHS arrangement with Borison was something that you probably don't see every day. Speaking of what might come next, obviously this is an ongoing investigation. We don't have a ton of clarity on what might be around the corner, but I'm curious, you talked about Borson Farms is still operating or still attempting to operate right now. Does it seem like perhaps like bankruptcy might be on the table or there is there multiple routes that might be taken to remedy the situation? Any perception? perceptions of what might come next? Yeah, Sarah, I think 
I think the results of the federal investigation, whatever charges might be filed, whatever comes from that, I think that's ultimately going to determine the next steps because quite honestly, this is a case that's, this is a situation that's ripe for bankruptcy. Some of the estimates that we've heard in terms of the debt of Borson Farms would probably make make your hair stand up if you're a farmer to hear it. We've heard estimates in the hundreds of millions of dollars and that's probably being conservative. And so it really is going to depend on the federal charges, if there are any charges. At this point, everybody's presumed innocent. These are just allegations. And so I think whatever comes from those investigations will probably make the path a lot more clear as to what might happen. I think bankruptcy probably will be an ultimate an ultimate end-all to all this, but we just have to wait and see what, what actually comes from the feds. I want to put this situation in kind of the bigger picture for a little bit as well and talk about given this moment that we're in right now where we've had we had a couple of really pretty good years at this point of prices, but we've also seen inflation rising. We've seen fertilizer prices rising and margins are getting squeezed. Really low interest rates for a long time really pushed some exuberance, especially in farmland purchasing. And then we see a story like this. And I'm curious what you think this kind of story might mean or signal as we've had several tough weeks in yeah. the stock market and people are starting to talk about a recession. What maybe does this do to people's psyches as they think about the next couple of years in the ag sector? It's interesting, Sarah. I think when Borson Farm started to run into trouble, we had a story back, I believe it was in 2016, somewhere in there. Where what we were being told is that the corn markets were partly to blame for what was happening with Borison Farms, that he got on the wrong side of corn prices. And back then, the corn prices weren't that high. We're seeing commodity prices now that are really taken off. And while this is still an ongoing story with Borison Farms, I think the genesis of it came from a time in ag where the situation was a lot different. It's We're looking at about six years ago. And so a lot changes from one year to the next. And so a lot of what's happened in Borson Farms is a direct result of actions taken at Borson Farms and not so much necessarily with the state of the market, the corn prices and so on. And so I think what we're seeing today and this case in particular are two separate things entirely. If we were talking about Borson Farms and we were saying that this guy made some bad decisions with his marketing or whatever the case may be, and it got him into a world of trouble. But then there was a lesson to be had here about how you market your crops. But I think what we're seeing with Borson Farms and the aftermath at some point, I think there's going to be a lot of lessons to learn from it. But I think what we're seeing now in ag is in itself a very interesting story. And so I think to connect the two is probably not accurate, although I suspect at some point we'll be able to look at Borson Farms. And there'll be a lot of lessons that we can take from it, whether we could apply it to nowadays or not. It's really something I think will be up to the individual producer, but it's certainly going to raise some alarm bells as to what, how badly things might be managed and what it could end up looking like if you take that those kinds of steps. I think that's a really good point. And I was wondering too, if you could talk a little bit about We tend to, I think, look at this kind of situation and think of it as emblematic of a moment. But I think also there has been, as you mentioned earlier, there's cases of bad actors and fraud in every sector, in every industry, at all points in history. Ag has had some pretty famous 
uh, fraud cases before. And so I wonder if you could talk about, you've been covering ag for a long time in the history of covering this kind of story or this kind of case. What sets it apart from other stories like this of, of either fraud or of poor management right. or whatever this turns out to be? Where does it stack up? I it's a good question, Sarah. I think the immensity and the size and the proportion of what Borson Farms represents is probably unmatched in a lot of the stories that we've covered over the years. As you said, we've seen we've seen a lot of farms that have ultimately failed. Some of those make the news and some of those don't. As I mentioned at the outset, Stamp Farms, which owned a lot of the properties that Borson Farms has operated or owned at one point, that in itself was a pretty large story. There was a a lot of fraud going on, a lot of different things that most farmers would look at and say, why in the world would somebody do that? And so I would say in looking at how Borson Farms and the situation there ranks, I would definitely say that this is a big wow. It's once all the information comes out and once we know a lot more in the way of the details, I think people are going to look at this case and it's going to be it's going to be one of those cases that people will probably never soon forget and it's quite sad because there are a lot of people like I said who have over the years really tried to to be a good neighbor to Borson Farms have provided services that they need to operate and a lot of those people have either gone out of business or owed millions of dollars and struggling and so I think that yeah we're going to look at we're going to look back on Borson Farms eventually and really wonder what went wrong and really kind of look at that as a benchmark case. So as we've pointed out a number of times, ongoing investigation here, you mentioned that you're expecting maybe to hear some updates in the near future. What should people who are interested in keeping up with this case, what are you expecting to hear from who, how should people follow along other than obviously keeping track of your reporting on DTN? I think anything that comes from this on in terms of a federal investigation and all the allegations that were made, I think it's going to start with the IRS. And if you're wanting to know where to watch, I think the IRS and the Department of Justice, obviously, they're really good about putting out releases and different things on cases that they investigate. I also think people want to keep a watch on the USDA side of it. We expect that the USDA is involved at some level as well. And beyond that, I'm not real sure. It's one of those things that there was a federal raid. And so Obviously, the federal government's been involved in collecting information, collecting evidence, whatever the case may be. And so it's, 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 a broad, it's a broad thing. And so anything that you hear coming out is probably going to start with the IRS and I think the USDA as well. And yeah, we're going to be keeping an eye. We, uh, we're trying to stay as in tune as we possibly can. We're watching court records, all those sorts of things. And perhaps something like that will show itself in a court record somewhere um, you never know. In, in the reporting business, you go to a lot of places and you, you watch for any smoke from the fire that might be burning and you go from there. We will be keeping track of it, keeping an eye on your reporting. But speaking of your reporting, I also wanted to get a little bit of an update. You cover a lot of topics and write a lot of stories, but give us an update on any stories that you're working on right now that you are particularly excited about or that folks should be on the lookout for. Well, yeah, Sarah, there's a number of court cases we follow in ag, and uh, while those are important, we still have an ongoing federal rulemaking when it comes to the waters of the U.S. Possibly that this year we're going to be having what the EPA has termed is a rewrite of the waters of the U.S. In the past several weeks, EPA has been hosting a number of roundtables virtually. A lot of those, it covers different areas of the country, different interests. We've had a lot 
you've had a pretty fair amount, a pretty decent amount of ag interest and participation in those panels. And so we've been tuning into those panels, writing stories and that sort of thing. But certainly the WOTUS issue is a big deal. And we've got a Supreme Court case coming up. I believe we're going to have oral arguments yet by the end of the year in the Sackett versus EPA case that's going before the court. So there's a lot of things that are, that's going to happen when it comes to the Clean Water Act. And I think that's something that probably as the year unfolds, that's going to be one of the big stories because as you, anytime you start talking about water, there's a lot of people that get a bit uptight. Yeah, that's the big thing. And like I said, there's a number of court cases in ag that we're following. Archer Daniels Midland had been sued, allegations made against them that they've manipulated the ethanol market. And so we've got a number of ongoing interesting cases in that too. So busy summer and busy fall ahead. You can stay up to date on the Borson Farm story and other ag law news and follow the rest of Todd's up to the minute reporting at dtnpf.com or when you subscribe to the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer with special thanks to Todd Neely. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.